There were two states, I think Tassie and South Australia, who were told not to engage with me when I was at bat pad. And one of them was Cal Ferguson. So Cal's batting. I'm like, Cal, how you going, mate? And he's nothing. So, oh, I can't, Cal. Don't tell me, mate, you don't have to follow the team rule. Like, you're a senior batter. You can, I mean, we get along fine, don't we? Are we, are we okay? He keep batting. I was like, all right, if you're not going to speak to me, I'm going to be you. Hi, Cal. Hey, boy, how you going? And you could see, like, this little smirk. He's trying not to smile, not to try to show any emotion. And then next thing you know, he brought up his 50. And then why is it first slip? And he goes, Bobby, I think it's time to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Quinny's Cold Heroes, part of the Ladbrokes Listen Network. Our superstar guest today, Bob Quiney, the Aussie Test cricketer, the five-time premiership winner for Victoria, but most importantly, the man who saved a seagull. Welcome, Bob. <laughs> what an intro. Thanks, Quinny. Uh, thanks for having me. I feel a little bit underdressed at the moment. I'm sorry, mate. I, I didn't get the um, the memo about the, the dress requirements, but... Uh, I'm comfortable and hope you're okay with that. I've got many weaknesses and fashion for me is right on the podium. Fashion right, and though. direction. So I managed to get here and managed to get dressed. So that's a good start to the show. Box tick straight away. Well played. Now, the important question to start, when are you Bob, when are you Bobby, and when are you Robert? Well, good question. Uh, I, I try and use Bobby as much as I can. Um, it, it sort of started when I was in high school. I was a bit of a rounder kid and one of my mates called me Bob instead of Rob and I liked it. I thought... Yeah, good, and it suits me from a not taking myself too seriously. Like um, the bit of Bob's your uncle or Bobby sounds like a bit of fun. Uh, the only person who really calls me Robert is my sister, who's taken a bit of a motherly figure to, to myself, my other sister. But she'll call me, refer to me as Robert, which I absolutely annoy the shit out of her, and, and I'll say, "Who who are you talking about?" Um, but yeah, it, and sometimes Rob when people refer to me from my cricketing days. So who do you when you introduce yourself? What do Bobby, you Bobby, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I prefer to be laid back. Like, even to the stage, I'm already waffling on two seconds in. But my wife and I had our baby boy three years, three and a half years ago, and and we love the name Charlie, right? And so it come to the birth certificate time, and I said, so Charlie, and she goes, no, no, Charles. Like just think, she wanted Charles because um, resumes or it looks more professional if he's going for a job. <laughs> I was like. Yeah, but he's Charlie. Like, what? What? what he's, people are going to call him Charlie. So, um, I tried to go into bat for him, but it didn't work, unfortunately. So that was a really early indicator who was going to call the shots in that. Well, I knew a lot earlier than that, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And 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 lucky enough too at times. She's uh, she's been amazing and guided me back on the straight and narrow, which is good. The voice of reason. You mentioned the early days. Tell us about you as a youngster. Bit cheeky. Loved your sport. Yeah, cheeky enough. I love my sport. Um, footy, footy and cricket was my go-to. I think it was pretty standard for for boys. Um, what are we talking now? 30, 35 years ago now. Um, wasn't the fittest kid. Um, I would I would go to the supermarket with my mum, and my mum and dad were separated at the time. My mum, the trolley, and I'd be going left and right, like anything off the off the shelves into the trolley, and I would just love getting home and and smacking some chips and papadums and cans of coke really <laughs> i'd go with my dad and i'd grab something straight away and he'd go right that's your only thing for the from the shop and i was like what <laughs> mum lets me get you're not with your mum and so i define i'd keep that in the trolley until i get to like two aisles later and i go no nah, I, I want that so i'd get that in the trolley and take the existing or the initial thing back to the initial aisle and come back and you'd go through that process so chalk and cheese there but footy for me loved richmond Loved watching the Tigers, even though they were they were horrendous back then. You know, 
I thought I was a jinx for them. I was born in August of 82 when we lost the grand final the next month and we didn't get to one until 2017. So, um, But love going there. Um, cricket was good for me because my, my dad was always around the local cricket club. He was scorer, eventually being president, and you just essentially live at the cricket club. And it was good for him because I, I annoyed him less to throw me some balls for, for batting. And you get other people around the club to, to sort of throw me some balls and, and feed me feed me each. Now, there's no room for modesty with this question. Were you always very good at cricket? No, no I was medium. I was medium. Um, my dad was a big driver for me to, to try and get better. But there was always at least one or two players in, in my junior side that were a lot better than, than me. One in particular, easily the best junior batter I've seen, um, Damien Casey, he was a gun. But... I would. I was a person that no one, no one wanted to open. I'm not sure if you were similar playing cricket um, when you're younger, but no one wants to open because I don't want to be the first one to go out. So my dad would say, "You're opening, and you're facing the first ball." So I had anxiety for about four years trying to deal with stuff like that. But it was. It made me obviously a better player, and um, it helped with my resilience as well. But um, I would say I was slightly better footballer. My skills were really good, um, but yeah. When when football came a time that there was a lot more running involved and cricket, there was still no running. When cricket became more <laughs> of an attractive opportunity for me. So that's where sort of the, the fork in the road came and, and cricket came to be. Those days have changed now. The cricketers are just as fit as the footy players. They are. And, and I think early doors in my, uh, in my Victorian years, the pre-seasons we used to do, I think we estimated we, we were like only four or five years behind where footy was now. Three years later, that's just exploded that gap, and, and it's it's huge. Like the Aussie cricketers are obviously really fit, but um, seeing firsthand some of the stuff that the AFL footballers do is is phenomenal. So that gap's big, but yeah, you still have to have a, a decent level of fitness to get through. Now you progress with your cricket, and you start to go to club cricket for St Kilda. How did that come about? Again, another insecurity from me. Um, you know, I didn't think I was good enough to play district cricket, but. Uh, Dad said, you're going to go play district cricket somewhere. Uh, I played Dowling with Paran, but a couple of things went by and, and it wasn't going to be my destination club from there. So it was out of St Kilda and Richmond and there was part of me, like I said before, like I went for Richmond and I thought to play on the ground that these guys train at and hang out like the football players, oh, that that would have been awesome. Um, and then, but then St Kilda was a fraction closer. I didn't know anyone that played at Richmond. I only knew one person that played at St Kilda, and I sort of went with that that person. And there was a little connection there, so I went to St Kilda, started in the threes, couldn't get a run, played in the fours, and couldn't get a run. And then, you know, after a trip to England, um, um, I came back and, and started to do all right. Good move, though. Don't they say that playing cricket at Punt Road is just a nightmare? You get a migraine at the end of the day with all the cars and trucks going by? Terrendous. My dad came to watch me once and he parked in his, his car just on the hill um, on an angle. And so I, I actually made runs this game, which means he, he stuck around for the whole day. And because he was sitting in his car the whole time, he had the races on, Cigar and, and Jim Beam, he was, he was sitting on an angle the whole time. He drove home and got out of his car and he, he did his back. Oh. Like he's, he's back. He couldn't walk properly for the next two or three days. But, um, yeah, it, it's the, I couldn't imagine the traffic getting there and, um, like you said, the noise. Uh, but I think all the other stuff you get used to. Sounds like a good way to spend your afternoon, though, watching your son dominate, <laughs> listening to the races, having a drink and a smoke. Correct, correct. It was <laughs> – for him, it was heaven. Like, he, he adored cricket. Um, he obviously was a big supporter of mine, but – 
Um, he's also horrendous on the punt. So if there's a way that my batting could distract him from the punt, there's a great result, you know. So he's, he's $2.50 each way bets. You saved him money that day as well. Now, 40 is a pretty good score, but not necessarily when it's your VC entry. But that was a defining moment in not just your cricket career, but your life. It was. It was. My, um, my sisters were really intelligent and uh, really motivated academically. They, um, I think one of them got 98 point something and it turned out that the, the subject that she got an A in and not an A plus in was a time I had a mate around and was annoying the Christ out of her while she's trying to study for that, <laughs> that subject. I didn't know it at the time, um, but she, she did amazingly well and then my eldest sister I think got high 80s as well. So I just thought, like I brought my books home from school every day and I just didn't get them out. And a mate of mine, coincidentally, so we, I lived at my nan's house near Brighton Secondary where I went to school. And in the same street, diagonally across the road, his grandma's house was there. So we, our grandmas lived across the road from each other and I ended up living with our nan. And now he would come by and like, oh, I'm just going to go visit grandma. But we would just duck off. We're backed on the Brighton Golf Course and we would just be chipping. We'd, we'd be teeing off the par three when no one was on there and then we'd be working on our short game and we were, we were happy. Like you, Then it's like he's got to go home. It's nearly dinner time. I'll crack a can of Coke and then we're ready for dinner. Then you get to dinner and you're like, oh, like I'm cooked. Like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do homework. Like it's, it's time for me to chill out, watch a bit of TV, neighbours home and away and then and then probably to bed. So um, unfortunately year 12 wasn't the element. And so getting to – I guess when you get your scores, I I thought I was intelligent enough to get to like 60 to 65. And I think that was like, there was some sports uh, degree that I might've been able to get into. But when you found out the scores, I think you had to ring up and they tell you your score. And then my dad rang me about an hour later and he wasn't very happy because he asked me what my score was and I told him and there was just dead silence on the phone for like another, a, a genuinely 10 seconds and he just said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this when we get home. So uh, I think that time at him at work, he probably would have lost his shit there, uh, had his brother and other guys there who could have just like calmed him down. And it was almost like his, his opportunity to sleep on it, but he came home and it was, it was probably there that he, the, the penny dropped for him that uh, uni probably wasn't for me at that stage and that I had somewhat of some talent with cricket and that maybe cricket was something that he could sort of pursue and push. But an amazing sliding doors moment because if you had have done well academically, you might have gone down a different path totally. I've never thought of it like that and because a lot of people go, if you weren't a cricketer back then, what would you have been? And I always just think, look, I, I would have found a way to, to work somewhere and do something, but I've never thought of it like that and, and not being a cricketer, I guess. And um, yeah, it, it would have been funny at what stage then would I put my finger out at 19 or 20 to do that? Or would I have just like continued on thinking everything's going to be all right? So, yeah, good good question. You've 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 stumped me there. What about that? You've got three kids and in a few years they'll be saying, Dad, what advice have you got going to VCE? And you're like, don't study, do as- practice your golf and you'll be sweet. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do, and and you'll be okay. No, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my wife is very intelligent and highly motivated. There's something not quite right about her, honestly, <laughs> that we've been together for about 20 years. So I don't know what is – there might be something like – not quite right, but um, no, nah, they've got a really good role model there. So 
Um, very fortunate. But 40, 40 wasn't the score I was after. <laughs> Hopefully thrown to the uh, damn there, the kids with the academics, that's for sure. Correct. Now, tell us about that England trip because you learn a lot on the cricket field. It was very advantageous. It was, and I was I was really nervous about doing it. The um, my sister, my elder sister, had travelled before, so my dad had bought me the ticket for Christmas, and I was to leave in I think it was late March, early April. You know, the week leading up to me leaving, I'd, I'd barely been interstate, let alone overseas, and so what my dad had organised was a stop over to Bali. And I'm thinking, I've heard some really cool things about Bali. Like, this is great. How, how good's life? And only getting 40, you know, get a trip to England via Bali. But so my sister was sitting there going, okay, now, when you get to Bali, don't let anyone touch your bags at the airport, okay? And I was like, why? People want to carry your bag and then they want money for it. I'm like, what's wrong with that? They said, just trust me, don't do it. And they reeled off all these things, you know, if, if you get in trouble with the police, hey, you know, there's, there's ways around that, you know, and I'm thinking, going, why the hell are you sending me to this place? It sounds horrendous. <laughs> so I spent my time in Bali outside of my hotel room majority of the time during the daylight. As soon as the night time came, bunkered down in my hotel and that was it. It wasn't a great experience. <laughs> but um, getting to England finally was was awesome, trying to get to, to know new people and uh, understanding that my role – was the professional like I had to I had to win them games and make runs and I'd never done that before at St Kilda or at Washington Park where I played my cricket prior to that. But getting there, my first three games, I, I couldn't get a run. Like adjusting the conditions. The first game they're sitting there, it's all right, Oz, you know, you'll be right. Second game's like, yeah, next next week and the next one's like, mate, come on. Yeah. We need you to start making some runs. So it wasn't until like the fourth game where I, I sort of got a bit of luck, but then also found my feet and made a sixty or a seventy and gone, okay, like it's time to go here. So um, not only did that help from a cricketing sense, um, I learned a hell of a lot how to to live from like a, a personal perspective as well. Um, unfortunately, some of the young guys in the team, they didn't live anywhere near. So I played a, a ground called Battle and it's uh, East Sussex, so down south of England. But they lived an hour away in Brighton, so they would travel there. So after the game – as you know, like you want to sit around and have a few jars with the boys, but they'd have one and they've got to go. They've got an hour's drive ahead of them before they go out in Brighton. So I was I spent most of my social activity with a forty five year old bloke who, you know, I was I was eighteen at the time, thinking oh, it's all right, but small doses. Like he was driving me around everywhere, but I didn't I, I wanted to go to disco. He yeah. wasn't going to disco. Yeah, it would have been hard to get the social Social element right there for sure. What about the cricket side? What was it like with the pressure? Because it's hard to explain. You've basically got one ring-in star and mm. you've got this team had an 18-year-old Aussie from the other side of the world come across. So you're coming to play with older players and you're the best on the team and the pressure is on you to perform. Massively. And, you know, they, they've paid for your flights. Uh, I didn't get paid over there, but they they've, they sorted out like accommodation, which I've worked out. The guy who looked after me wasn't looking after me. Double dipped. He, I was paying him, and the club was paying him. So uh, he stitched me up. But was it the forty-five year old you were drinking with? <laughs> no, no, no. I'd be happy if it was him because he drove me around everywhere. This other guy didn't do anything for me. So, um, but it was it was the ability to, as I said, like when the game's on the line, and you historically have just gone, I've got twenty or thirty, I'm going to take it on. It's like I I can't. We, you know, we've lost a few wickets, and you, you know, I know the other team know if I get out, they're a chance. But if I stay in. They're no chance. So you learn to, to try and bat like that, which is really good. Um, but it was more towards, I guess, you play a proper match on Saturday, like a, a, a normal fixture. Sundays are friendly and Wednesdays are friendly as well. 
Now, Sunday and Wednesday friendlies are great. Like, there's no, there's nothing better than being out in the middle and just playing cricket to, to you know, learn your craft, essentially. But when you when you rock up to games, and this 45-year-old would drive me to the game, the game will be about 1.30, 2 o'clock start, would go to the pub for lunch first, and you'd be having three pints before the game. Now, I, I've never drunk pints before I went to England, so three pints is I, – I was – I was a bit glassy-eyed running into this game and then we win We, we win the toss as organised. Like, you, yeah, we're batting. Um, Oz, you're opening up. I was like, can someone just give me like an hour here? Like I need a, <laughs> I need a, need a wet towel or some, some water and, and I'll be all right. Um, but again, you, you learn there's resilience and you learn ways to survive. Um, but through all that drinking and it was good I was playing a lot of cricket but Bloody hell! Like my clothes started to get a bit tight, and it wasn't the dryer. Like I was, <laughs> I was definitely stacking on a few kilos. So, um, and by the end of that trip, I think I went to England 100 kilos, and I, by the end of it, I was I was 115 kilos, which was it's shit. I shouldn't have put on that much weight. But How really long easy. were you gone for? Five months. It's a fair bit of weight to yeah, go. Yeah. What was, was the reaction three. like when you got back home? Oh, that was that was a huge moment for me. Like so. Um, in saying that, I was before I left. The, I, I was twelfth man in the ones grand final, and one one or two of the guys said, "You know, you you'll definitely get the Heathrow injection." And I was like, "What the fuck's a Heathrow injection?" <laughs> you know. And it wasn't until I come home and they said, "Jesus Christ!" I didn't like we knew you get the injection. We didn't know you get the whole bag of it. You know. <laughs> and I worked out. Obviously, you know, you put on weight, and and it was then when someone goes, "Mate, like this is." This is serious. You did so well over there, but you, you can barely run and keep up with half the people here. Your fitness is horrendous. Your fielding's horrendous. You, you need it. And it was the best thing, just what smacked me between the eyes. How quickly did the weight fall off? Really quickly. I think the initial like couple of kilos. From England, the, the first five kilos came off from just having a normal routine again. And then, and then through this, like another one, you know, another another five kilos come off as well. And, and you, you know, you found a way to have – consistency but you see results like I think if you if I did it and, and didn't see results I'd be thinking this is a waste of time yeah even if it was going to work eventually so but I saw things like the ability to move in the field a bit better um, clothes fit a lot better uh, you just feel a little bit better in yourself as well so confidence was always something I struggled with and that helped a lot no doubt about that. In 2005, you made your debut for Victoria against an ICC World Eleven at the Junction Oval. There were some big names in that opposing. Do you remember side. that? Do you yes. Remember, do you remember that? Yes. Did you Did you end up going? Did you watch much on TV? Or? I went to a game. Yeah. I went to the Junction Oval on day three. I reckon it was packed. It's amazing names, like ridiculously amazing names. Like, um, yeah, was it Callis? There was Sean Pollock, Muralitharan, Vittori, Peterson. Uh, show back to, so that was my first experience. I think it was it was a bit of a token game, but I must have done okay in pre-season. I think I was a rookie at that stage, or mate, we went to England before and might have shown something. And they've said, "Oh, we'll just we'll, we'll just let him have a game." And um, the crowd at the junction with the atmosphere was awesome. So you get through your fielding innings, like as a fielder, it's like I was in a third man. Ball come down, and you're like, "Whoa!" You're nervous. Pick up the ball. Throw it in over the top. All right, that's done. I, I, I feel relaxed now. Fielding session done. I'm batting at maybe six. And um, where you sit at the junction oval is compl- like spot on, side on to the center of the wicket. And and so any bowl of the bowls just looks a little bit quicker than really what they are. Now, show back does between the ring and the sight screen at the junction coming off the long run. And Nick Jewell and Michael Kling open the batting. So both St Kilda boys, happy, like good, good confidence in each other. 
and the keeper is behind the circle as well. And I'm sitting there going, I'd much prefer pace, but I'm hoping Sharp's bowled his six or seven before <laughs> I get out there. Anyway, the first ball just goes past Julie's grill and, you know, he's got under it. And Julie's usually the piss taker, but Maxi Klinger at the other end comes down and um, he tapped the wicket and was talking to Julie and we're like, What's he said? Like, what, what's it? Turned out, Maxie come down and he asked if the ball was swinging or not. <laughs> so, and, and so Julie just told him to f off, and it was I, I, like I just love the the nerve of Maxie to, to for him to come down because Maxie was going to cop it as well. But um, that was an amazing game. I got I had Murali bowling to me and Vittori, which spin's always been my Achilles heel, but. I couldn't get past Mooley's face the first time I faced him. Like he's he's got his lips powdered, um, everything. He just the looks eyes. so intimidating. His eyes are coming out. And so I played and missed at about three balls, ended the over fine. I think I only got a couple of runs, but I hit the ball out to square leg and I'm thinking I need to capitalise on everything and anything here. Jax Callis from the boundary throws in direct hit. Now I was home, but the umpire's seen a direct hit from Callis. The crowd want me out. <laughs> they don't know who I am. You're out, son. You're gone. So that was that was short-lived, but it was it was a hell of experience. And the old beach hotel. Yes. You know, that's where we went after that. And, you know, Shaw walks in with like two two friends around, <laughs> around his arm. And I'm like, Jesus, like this bloke's life's amazing. What an amazing experience though. Your first, first class game, that was it. And then mm. to socialise with these world-class players afterwards. So it was Obviously surreal, but a wonderful way to dip your toe in the water. It was huge and probably too fast at that stage because, I, I, I mean, I've, I've noted briefly here, but my confidence and um, I had insecurities about my game, but I'd, I, like, I look at the guys in the change rooms at the time and go, what the f- am I doing here? Like there, there are other players that are better than me that should be here, but you that sort of wears away a little bit. But, you know, you do you, – you take it in – and then you're like, no, I've got to be one of the players. Like you've got to pull your finger out and go, I'm, I'm one of the players. Don't don't just like sit there and like jaw agaped and go, oh, how good is this? I needed to to get involved and eventually contribute. One of the great things that's come out of your career has been all the Victorian players saying how warm and welcoming you and Dave Hussey were. Mm. They were the two players that everyone identifies as making them feel part of the team when they started. When you started, who was that for you? I was lucky that I had, I had Nick Jewell, uh, Maxi Klinger, Graham Rummins around in the state squad when I got in there, and I think that that helped massively. So if we were going out for lunch or going to have, like that, I would I would come along and would break the ice, and I guess people would get to know me there. So I had that, and then everyone sort of was had the ability to I guess warm to me when I first started in the squad. We had blokes like Finchy, Pete Siddle, Aiden Blizzard, um, and there were two or three others who might have played one or two games who we had a really good connection for a couple of years. So it was almost like there's the older guys, here's the younger guys. And then I guess one of my mantras I got to the stage where is like, just get out of your comfort zone and and learn about other people and and just speak to people because I've been on the other side in junior teams before is that you, you know when there's always one or two or three people that probably not – they're not naturally included. And so I guess – I was lucky that I didn't I didn't have to go through that process too much, but I, you could see that. And so I guess Huss and I would both go, well, you know, they're, they're not in the clique or the, one of the boys at that stage, so we'll get to know them so that when we're at dinner and one of the boys goes, oh, what about Smithy? It's like, oh, did you know that his dad works there and um, he's actually a really good golfer? And all of a sudden the boys go, golfer, what, what's he play off? Oh, he, oh, I think he plays off like 10. Oh, okay. You know, a month later, Smithy's playing golf with the boys, Yep, you know? 
Um, so I think using that as a bit of a catalyst to get people in, I think is pretty important. Because a lot of, we'll get to the great Victorian sides that you played in, but a lot of people that played in those teams speak about the team camaraderie as the key difference. They said on ability, we're not much different than a lot of the other states, but it was that bond we had. I reckon, I reckon almost the opposite. And I might be against the grain with some of these guys. I think, I think we had the ability, like if you think about um, Hodge at three, Hussey at four, White at five, McDonald at six, Crossweight and Wade, the keeper. And then you had bowlers like Jared, Jared Denton. Not a lot of people would probably have heard of Jared Denton, but one of the better bowlers, swing, pace. Um, so we had Shane Harwood, Mick Lewis, Clint McKay, Peter Siddle, Darren, Patton, uh, Darren and James Pattinson. Like the cattle we had and what actually like – it was it was almost like there were little like clicks and um, there were there were ways that not not everyone got on and and I think people speak about it within that not everyone was each other's best friend but it was hundred percent when we oh, sorry I forgot about Dirk Nanez as well like he bowls smoke but when we did walk out of the change room and go towards that that white line it'd be like no nah, no nah, we know what was going on we know that you know. If Hodges at his best, no one's going to beat us. Now, if Hodges isn't at his best, we need we need. To, there was a joke. Whoever opened, whether it was me and Julie, Julie and Bucky Rogers, me and Bucky was like, um, we just got to get the shine off the ball for the fast food, and we called fast food Hodge Hussey White, right? And so we just had to. And then there'd be times when Julie used to joke that a light used to go on after about ten or fifteen overs. Depends on what the wicket was doing. If it was flat, it was closer to ten. If it was doing a little bit more, it's closer to 15 or 20. A lot would go on, which means, Rodder, your, your turn's done. We need to send Hodge out. And then we sent Hussey out and said White out. So um, that was that was like a running joke, but there was elements of truth about it as well. But um, we would we would probably sledge each other more than the opposition would sledge us. Well, to drive each other or there was a bit of That was just angst. the way the banter. Yeah. A bit of both, potentially. I think there was also angst, but there's also there's an opportunity you can slip a quick boot into someone as banter. We'll do that, but but you, it was all it was all left out there. And did, did that change? Like, was that a lot different from like the first premiership we played in two thousand and nine to the last one in two thousand and seventeen? No, not no. for me. But but I mean, fortunate enough, the boys won one in 0304, which is twenty years for this year. That was when Hooksy passed away, unfortunately. Um, I don't know whether it was different then, um, but I know my time in there. There was it was just like we would if there was something wrong with you. When I say wrong, if like Myself, um, I don't know. I was hair. I'm hairy, like really hairy. Now the key is to get yourself before your teammates get you. <laughs> and, and so little little things like that. So there'll be one, one or two players who might have a bit of loose loose skin, and so we, we'd we'll pull them up on them potentially looking like their tentacles, or um, you know, there other things about anyone that um, there was an inadequacy with anyone. It'd be torn to shreds. Now, when 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 the opposition start trying to pile into someone as a batter, like. Mate, you know, Bobby gives me worse shit than that or, you know, like you need something better than that. But alternatively, if we find out that someone's having a go, when we get on the field, we'll all be on that one person. So from a, I guess, that pack mentality, that did come to fruition. So, um, but it was, it was, it was bloody enjoyable. Like there was, the, I mean, there's only, you've got to survive in the field. Like you think of shield cricket, it, it is long and I love how it goes over four days. I love that cricket. But there's days in the field where you're like, there's 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 two school groups at the G, there's another maybe fifty people, and you're like, what's going on here? Like, you know, we just got to get through somehow, and um, that's a flat wicket. And but if you find ways to take the piss out of each other, 
Um, even if it's from someone must have stuffed up at dinner last night. It's like <laughs> until someone else stuffs up, you're you're the bun of the joke for the next three days uh, and bad luck. So, You talk about the social aspect of it, especially with the Shield. How frequently would you guys socialise during the games? Because as yeah. you said, it's over four days. Would you go for dinner, have a couple of beers? Was there a routine you all like to keep? Most nights, I think we would go out for dinner. We'd get a per diem, like part of a um, part of and part of the agreement now is you get a travel allowance uh, and it's a daily fee. So we probably saw that as an opportunity just to make sure we do. Like if we go to WA or Queens, anywhere really, you don't want to get stuck in your hotel room. You see enough of the hotel room, and the opportunity to actually see different parts of different states was I thought was pretty cool. But there was definitely through that, I guess for me, five six to sort of like I don't know about eleven twelve. 12, 13 period was definitely like there was there was not like this policy where you couldn't drink. It was whoever did it, did it. And it is important because cricket's so unique where it's a team game based on individual performances. Mm. It, it, no, it is. And, and we're so reliant on, like as I said, the openers doing their job, then it means the middle order can do their job and then and then the sort of lower batters or all-rounders play their role. Um, it is. It, it's, it's integral, but... Um, you, yeah, you just we were just lucky with the depth of players that we had. We knew that if one couldn't do it, the other could do it, and I think that's why through um, was it oh eight oh nine nine ten, and then a break of fourteen fifteen, and then three years was that's <laughs> I, I I have to do it all the time because my memory. For those horrendous. listening, Bob's <laughs> just looked at his tattoos on his leg to check when they won the premiership. They're on my thoughts. So I've got the St Kilda ones. Oh three, oh four. So I got. I've never. I was this person that would go. I'm. I'm never going to get tattoos. Like what am I? I've got freckles. Like that's enough tattoos for me. <laughs> and I've gone. You know what? Though I'd really like to have. And it's. It's come to case in point right now. Like I know the dates simply by looking at my legs, especially if I'm wearing shorts. But um, I did it and didn't regret it. But I've got. I'm missing fifteen, sixteen, and sixteen, seventeen for the Vicks. I need to need to go. add there. But well, I'm sure there's a good. Tattoo artists listening to this podcast that can be in touch and say, "Bob, let's get that done." I'm, I'm happy for that to happen. I'm happy to pay whatever, but I've, I've just been lazy. I just need to, I need to get there and get it done. And, you, and someone told me a while ago, see, it, it's just smudging a little bit. The, yeah. the, the older ones needs well, a that's redo. Twenty years, twenty years coming up for my my first ever. That's pretty good. Twenty Kilda, years, so. still looking that sharp. We'll have to put a photo of that up on the social <laughs> so those that are listening know exactly what we're talking just blur about. Blur the middle bit out. <laughs> 2009-2009, talk about the IPL, the Rajasthan Royals, and Shane Warne as the oh. captain coach. I got a call from from Darren Berry. I was driving on Punt Road, and he said, how would you like to come to the IPL next season? I was like, really? Like I'd watched Cam White. We played a game in the SCG, and I'm sorry, I keep getting sidetracked, but played a game in the SCG one day versus um, New South Wales, and that was when the IPL auction was going to be on. Now, I it was so hot, I got 40 off about, I don't know, 45 rocks, and I thought I did all right. That was my theory before. Bobby, off you pop. Huss comes in, gets 100 off 60 balls. And I'm going, what, why is he batting like that? This is extraordinary. Obviously, a little bit naive me, but coming back in, the auction was that night, our time was was that night. And so after the game, we're all sitting around uh, the the table at the SCG change rooms and just watching. I think Huss went first and he got, I think he got a million. And then Whitey went next and got 1.2. And this was 2009. Like this is 14 years ago. I'm going, this is this is ridiculous. Like what 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 this can't last. There's no way this can last 
So I'm pumped for Whitey and Huss, you know, that they get to sort of reap the benefits of their, I guess, their skill, their talent, the hard work. And then, you know, the next season, you know, Chuck rang via Warney, no, knew Warney through St Kilda as well. Um, and I'd done well in one day is, and, and, and the 2020, there was a game we played in a final, Vic New South Wales, it was before I went to franchise and I made 80 in a final there and maybe that was a little bit of a, um, I guess, a trigger for them to go, you know, we can get him on board. So I said, yeah, of course, I was supposed to go to the academy, but they were happy for me to delay that and get get there later um, just so I could go to the IPL and South Africa instead of India. And India is awesome. I love India, but it was. I'm glad this was in South Africa because I hadn't really been to, I hadn't thought about going to South Africa, but, and I guess Warney being Warney, we, we weren't just staying in Joburg or Pretoria. We were based in Cape Town, which is amazing for two weeks prior to the prior to the tournament starting. And again, you sit there and you're like first impressions and you're trying to work hard and didn't really sort of, didn't really um, put too many runs on the board in a couple of practice matches, but um, like just looked around and gone like this, this is Cape Town. So we had, so Watson was there, but it, he was injured. So I was sort of there to cover for Watson, ironically, yeah. you know, the same thing two years ago, two years after. Um, Graham Smith, Mornay Morkel. There was a guy called Tyrone Henderson who played at Middlesex and was about 37, I think, at the time. Nearly challenged me for being as hairy as I was. <laughs> so I felt some comfort being around him, but I hadn't heard of him. And, and I heard that he was, T20 was, you know, well entrenched by then in England, but apparently he was pretty good. Like he'd smacked him and he bowled. So that was there. And then we had Lee Castledine from Queensland, Shane Harwood from Victoria, and Dimi Mascarenas, who was from England that time. So some some really great people. Um, and also, you know, my first introduction to Graham Smith and Mornay Morkel. And Mornay is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, Graham Smith gave me so much time a day. He was so down to earth. It was fantastic, but watching watching those guys walk around the streets of South Africa and the shops and there's time there's areas where clearly you can't, but you'd be walking with them to lunch, and everyone's coming up to them and you you know you give a wide berth so they can access them and sometimes they're like no no you need to you need to stay and, and keep me cover for a bit and it was phenomenal and then it was still like a solid nighttime thing as well like there was it was like we might have lost it's like all right where are we going tonight boys and it was just. Oh, it was just like fill your boots again, again. So, um, yeah, there was there was elements that were great. There's a picture of me that um, playing a shot for for the Royals in Joburg, I think it is, and my shirt's lifted up, and like you could tell that I've I've I had plenty to do off the field there as well. Like food and drink was was horrendous, but that you go to breakfast and you see the see some international cricketers having breakfast with you, and then it, you get humanised because. They say hello, you talk to them, you, you play against them and, you know, they're aware of you nearly as much as, you know, you're aware of them. So, um, unfortunately for, for me and for us, Rajasthan won the first edition of the IPL. So, I went there in edition two um, and we weren't winning a game. I think I played three games, couldn't get a run and then Warney come up to me. We were at a, at a bar one night, like all the whole team was and he goes, sorry, mate, I'm going to have to let you go. Um, Watto's fit. He's, he's finished with the Aussies, and you know he's coming back. And it's like, oh, and the right there was like, oh well, like that was a pretty cool experience. And then <laughs> what I got injured again, so I I stayed, and then I played. I think three more games. I got a fifty in there, but I I let him down big time. So I had a two year agreement that just went. In India agreements aren't that's that's weighed weighted towards them. So they just went. 
That's it. That's done. One year and done. Yeah, one and done. And and fair enough. Like I, I didn't show enough for that. But the experience. Fifty at the back end, though. Yeah, I I did. But I mean, fifty from six hits isn't what they needed. Um, So difficult game though. T twenty cricket. It was for me because my my natural um, personality when it came to cricket was four day one day was to be aggressive, and one day cricket my strike rate was like high eighties and I averaged sort of mid to high thirties once I got going. And so it seemed natural that 2020 would suit me, but I could never work out my T20 game. I felt like I was all or nothing and then spin come in a lot more and that held me down. So, yeah, I, that, that's one thing that I wish I'd, I'd probably invested a little bit more time in, in getting better. Tell us about Warney though, over there, captain, coach, the king on and off the field. I com- completely. So casinos, like he, he obviously loves his poker. We would go to a casino for a roulette table and he'd have his own private room, and but he'd invite everyone. So there might be eight of us or nine of us that went with him. Now, you're on the roulette table, and I'm thinking, look, we get again, we get per diems, we get a little bit of money per day, but I don't have a huge amount of money to, to splash around here. And then, he, you know, he's dropping, I don't know, $100 per chip or whatever it is, and, and I'm just going, look, this is a shitload of money. And, you know, might lose and then win. And so, like, you try and – and this is where I think young people can get sucked in sometimes. Like, I need to keep up. Yeah, I'm going to – my number's 22 here. I'm going to put my number on 22 and then this and then that. And then, like, next thing you're like, just I've just lost 300 bucks in two two spins. Like, um, but he, he, he was looked after everywhere he went because he looked after those people at the same time. Yep. He's, he was someone who was so loyal – Sometimes to his detriment, um, but he was so loyal to, to his mates. He would look out for them. He would look after them. Um, but the people that he met along the way, you hear stories about when he he initially played in England, I think around Bristol area, um, and when he made it to the Australian team, every time they went to England, um, he would go and visit them, the club. Um, so he was fantastic like that. He would instill belief in us as well. There was a time where... Uh, he's not going to get in trouble now, but um, we were playing Hobart Hurricanes. It might have been the second year of the Stars, and I've, I hope I'm all right to say this. I just wanted to take a dump, you know, pre-game. And he was in, I didn't realise he was in the cubicle next to me, but he was smoking. He wasn't dumping because he couldn't smoke anywhere. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there mid-dump, like, mid-dump, and he goes, Bobby, I was like, yeah. He's like, when are you going to pull your effing finger out, right, and have a crack? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And he's like, mate, you're a good batter. Like, you, you got you got to score. Like, be more confident. And I'm like, all right, yeah, no, I'll give it a crack. And so I've gone, oh, pressure's on now. Like, I've got to go have a crack. And so I, I made 65 or 40 that day. And so I'm pretty happy. But the problem was Luke Wright made his first 100 down the other end and he got out before me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an element of like, oh, yeah. And, and then, like, you get off and he goes, it's a little bit better. And but I knew that he was just trying to – he's trying to help me. He's trying to – Bring some confidence out and say, mate, have a crack and, and do it because if if it worked for me, then it worked for the team because whether he's captain or not of that Stars team, that was his team. Yep. He saw it that way. So, um, and he was he was great. Like he, he would – there was a time when we played uh, against Richmond, so he played for St Kilda and whether it was an injury or there was an in- a moment, I think, where his shoulder was cooked and he had to play a couple of games before he went, to, went overseas and – he would he'd come in and first time meeting him, and I'm just sitting there going, "This is weird." Like you see it in the uh, Herald Sun, like your names right next to him in the team list, and he walks in and you're like, "Oh, 
don't be a dickhead. Just be cool around him, you know. Just just be normal. And like, hey mate, how you going? Hey, good. No, you're all right. Yeah, no, it's good. It's like, oh, you dickhead! I've already started. <laughs> and but he he, as soon as you get in there, he just he, again he normalizes everything. He the people that he knows, he'll take the piss out of, and they'll take the piss out of him. Yeah. And it's game on. And, um, you know, he walked in and he was on a diet at that time, one of many diets for him. It was Special K diet. And um, so he would he would have rocked in before warm-up, bowl of Special K um, would come off. And for lunch, everyone else was getting some nice salad rolls and stuff like that. No, he was into his Special K. And he would have had a bowl of Special K about six times that day. And it's almost like when you get something that's like 20% fat-free, that doesn't mean you can have like 10 times the amount <laughs> <laughs> but he he stuck to his guns and he and he had his special K and and he and mate, he batted he got a hundred I think that game as well so um, but yeah he was you couldn't speak highly enough I know there's the shit happened that wasn't great that potentially he did but um, my pure dealings with him he was awesome yeah just a legend on and off the field and everyone that played with him has stories like that how he made them feel welcome yeah. he was just one of the guys and you walk on air when you've got arguably the greatest spin bowler of all time. Making you feel part of the team. Hundred percent. He was, he was great. And even in even when when I was struggling in South Africa with the with the IPL, he he didn't sugarcoat it. He just said, "Mate, like you just you just got to get better." I know it's tough, but you got to get better. And and you know he he was just in your corner. And you mentioned that he had a couple of minor issues off the field, but that almost made him more endearing because he wasn't perfect. It's a bit like that. Like I'd probably almost say they're more than minor, aren't they? Like the couple of things that that he did, <laughs> but um, it just shows that the level of people going into bat for him, pardon the pun, that he could do those things. Um, he showed genuine remorse and people welcoming him back because they know what they're going to get from Warney. Now, um, the amount of games he won off his own hand, essentially, um, was phenomenal for Australia. So I think the only thing is now is that, you know, not many people realise, I think they do realise actually how good he was. Maybe he didn't realise the gap between him and everyone else. Like you hear when he's on commentary, it's like, you know, why can't he do that? Why can't that's like, mate, like, we're, 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 there's there's kilometres between a lot of us and you. You know, you were that good. So, um, yeah, it's a shame he's gone. Speaking of that good, that was you in 2011. You had an amazing season for Victoria. You were Australian Domestic Player of the Year and awarded the Bill Laurie Medal for performances for Victoria. What sparked the success that year and what was the catalyst behind that year? Because it was almost like a line in the sand. A little bit of belief. A little bit of belief, I think, that I could play at that level. I think leading up to that, um, I'd average sort of like early early 30s um, and I just had a stage where I've gone, you know, I need to believe that I can play at this level and um, I don't think there was one thing I did specifically. I think, you know, working with, with Greg Shipper, the, the head coach and the batting coach at the time, um, there, was, there was nothing, I guess, tangible that I did to say that's why I made those runs apart from believing in myself. And sometimes that happens through a score as well. You, you, you make a score and, you know, away you go, you're good to go. So, um, you know, there's, there's times where um, I was batting five or six for a stage and it might have been – this might have been the catalyst potentially and, and we started the, the season in Queensland and, and Shippy goes, you're going you're gonna to open this year. And I was like, well, I'm just found my niche at five and six. Like what's going on here? And he goes, no, no, we need you to open. And I was like, There's two, I could have gone two ways. I've gone, no, no, you're just putting me here because I'm, I'm, I can be collateral, and you don't have an opener. Or there's an element of, no, 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 all right. Well, he, there's something that he in there that he believes in, and he's going to put me up to open. And 
and it worked out well. I think we've got 100 that game and and it helped. Yeah, I had two seasons. I think one averaged, I think early 40s, another one averaging high 40s um, to get me going, which is which is pretty cool. I just wish I could have done it for longer. Well, on the back of that, the Australian A team comes knocking and you get the call up to play against South Africa. You made 85. The only bad thing is the Australian A team didn't play in those awesome outfits they had in the <laughs> mid-90s, but apart from that, a wonderful experience. I'm going to talk to you about a concept of Australia A again soon after this, but it was it was awesome. So those I had re- two really good seasons and my name had been banded around a little bit and then we started the, the next season, 2012-13 season, and I just I didn't start very well. Not uh, Two Shield games, hadn't got a score. John Inverarity, who was the chairman of selectors at that time, came out. Um, in our warm-up and he goes, you've been picked for Australia A. And I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. I, I never thought that I deserved to – no, in the end, I deserved – I know I deserved to play for Australia, but it was more like my expectation was, oh, Australia A, I'll take that. And But I wasn't in form. So, you know, when you when you talk about players you know, picking them in form, I think there's a fair bit of merit behind that as well. But So, finished that Shield game, went to Sydney, and there were – like Moses on Riggs – Andrew McDonald, Phil Hughes was playing as well. Um, Liam Davis from WA just come off a massive. I think he'd, he'd scored two hundred that the start of that season, and you know I'm thinking Look, this is this this might be my ceiling. This is pretty cool, um, and went out to bat and again had comfort because Mornay didn't play that game, but Mornay, Morkel, and Graham Smith were playing. Where two years prior I'd gotten to know them and one or two others through the IPL, so breaking that intimidation or um, uh, like idolization factor from the opposition was sort of gone. Like even Dale Stain, Dale Stain's a ripping guy, like lunatic on the field, but like just a really down to earth guy off the field. So got eighty. The one thing I was proud of that innings was facing spin him to here, and I was able to get him a little bit. And then you walk off, and I walk off, and I go. I feel pretty good. It's always an element of like, I hope the other opener goes out first. <laughs> and then I need to get 20 or 30. Um, and then he got there and kept going and ended up getting 80, which was great. Anyway, those games, Quinia, they can be really, they're a practice match, 100% a practice match. And um, you, you, we we got our second innings, like we just bowled to them and I mean, people didn't want to field. We bowled to them, then their turn and because there was a crowd there they just they we had to play till a certain point I think it was like four o'clock so anyway Dale Staines bowling and he's just same as the first innings he just looks like he's coming in the nets he's not bowling fast he's probably bowling sort of you know mid 130s pushing 140 yep no worries off the hip no worries and then Phil Hughes gets down the other end and and then all of a sudden you know the next ball goes like that and I'm like Jesus starting to ramp it up now and again, he's bowled a few more short balls at Husey and over end of the over, he comes down and, and Husey goes, goes right, he's bowling fast. And I said, I know. I said, you're sweet, you've got him. You've got him at that end, you're right. I'll take the other guy at this end and we're sweet. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay. And I think what they worked out, I think they they thought that maybe Hughes was going to play uh, or, be, or go up and be the next one for the test team. And they were just sort of starting the intimidatory, you know, process before the test one but got off the ground after that um in rarity calls me over into the you, you know everyone's seen the the viewing area at the SEG like it's a beautiful um old little seating area and he goes Watson's probably not going to play um you're going to go up and be on standby and my heart just went bang like that's 
again, you pinch yourself moment. I never, I never, um, I never thought that I could realistically play for Australia, and maybe that might have been a bit of a downfall. But uh, flew up to Queensland within sort of twenty four hours of getting there. They said we've ruled, ruled Watson out. We're going to give you as much time as possible to to prepare, which was so cool. Media circus for two days, hit like feel really good. Um, Mike Hussey, Mike. One of the nicest guys ever, but I don't know whether he was trying to stitch me up in this game. So he was fielding at Gully originally. And so Michael Clark and, and Mickey Arthur, who was a coach at the time, said, where do you field? And I was like, sort of anywhere. I, I used to be point, but sometimes at Gully, sometimes at Bat Pad, sometimes, I don't know, wherever there's a hole. And they said, oh, all right. And they said, yeah, right. See, Mr. C, can he can duck out. He can do third slip and cover. I was like, oh. I feel so bad. I've just taken Mike Hussey's spot. You know, that, you just feel shit. Like I, I should be the one at bat pad, but Ed Cowan was doing a good job there. And so we're at the Gabba and at Gully and he comes over and he goes, how you feeling? I said, yeah. I said, I wouldn't mind the first one. Like you want to get your first catch. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you know the, one of the grounds that I really hate feeling? I can't get a really solid, you know, pick up off from the backdrop. And I was like, where? He goes, yeah, here at the Gabba. I was like, oh, <laughs> And again, I don't know where he's like winding me up because I took his spot or he's just being a genuine cricket nuffy. So you take like a bit of a step back as well. And then we, we get Elviro Peterson out and and Smith out. And so we had uh, Callis and Amla batting three and four and they put on a heap together. So early stages of their, their um, partnership, he goes, do you know there's, there's, there's one guy I hate feeling a gully too. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes – Mate, Amla, you can't see where his bat face is coming from and all that sort of stuff. And so I was like, mate, what are you doing to me? <laughs> so I was I was closer to fielding at third man than to Gully in that test match because I hadn't taken the catch yet. Um, and it wasn't until I think Callis went for a big swipe. He'd already made 100. Big swipe, Nick, and it's come to me. I was probably lucky I was about four metres deeper than I needed to be. Bang, first catch. Thank God for that. And he was, I think he was one of the early ones to get over and say, well done, mate. Great I was catch. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just absolutely shitting myself before <laughs> that, though. Thanks, us. Before we got down the field, tell us about two things. When you found out you were going to play and the special moment where you got to tell people in your life you were going to play test cricket, and then Alan Border, a man that you idolised, presented you with your cat. Yeah, so, as soon as um, – well, my family were going to – they organised to come up to Queensland even before um, I knew that I was playing – and then it just worked out well. Then, and when I told them, you know, I'm in, they're pumped. They, I was like, you're going to have to book flights, and then we've already booked them. Uh, Cricket Australia were good with my wife, obviously. I think, I think potentially my family. I'm not sure, but um, like they were amazing. They they just organised that sort of thing. Um, and then also had some good friends and teammates um, come up from both Washington Park and St Kilda, and even like um, uh, my wife's friend's husband come up with the kids and, and it was pretty cool. But the Alan Border thing was I, – I without getting too sentimental, I feel like I let so many people down by not doing any good at test level. But the one person I feel like I let down a shitload, and I didn't even know him before this, a little bit through Fox Sports, but it was Alan Border. Like Alan Border said some really nice words to me and all I was, watching, I was literally sitting there going, this bloke, I had his poster on the wall and used to love watching him bat and – like, again, the gap between me thinking I could play at a level of cricket versus there, like, just that that was proper dreaming. I'm going, I'm playing for Australia. This guy, like, the one of the best captains of Australia, giving me 
my, my hand him in my baggy green. I sound like Justin Langer at the moment, don't I? Um, but I thought it was great. And he just said, look, you've cap 429. Um, you you deserve this opportunity. Um, go out there, you know, do your best and all that sort of stuff. And he said a couple other things and, and I was like, hey, that's that's pretty cool. So um, and, and that's why I said before, like it's almost like he, he said that and he's, he's, you'd hope that he meant it, but I just feel like I let a lot of people down and him included. I can't think of a worse scenario though for than someone to come out to bat for the country for the first time than after T on day three. So yeah. Africa's made a ton of runs. You've lost time because of rain and then the team loses a few early wickets. Talk about being thrown to the lines. Yeah, that's not throwing the lines. That's that's just batting, isn't it? Like that's that's the job. Um, I... I'd much prefer – and people used to say batting open and three is the same thing. I couldn't get my head around that. Uh, I'd, I would have much rather have opened just to get out there and get it done. But I tried to have the same process as I normally would if I was batting a five or six with the Vix. You know, there's that st- – I, I, I thought sometimes the banter in the Aussie team would be better than the Vic team, but it wasn't. Like they were talking about who's the ball 11, you know, in, in Australian domestic <laughs> cricket and stuff like that. Um and then so Warner got out and and that's when it's like, right, oh, it's real. It's going to happen here. And Dale Stane was bowling. And again, I've gone, I know he's going to bowl at least 10Ks quicker than he did last week. So I need to be on. And also, I, I don't need to play the pull shot to him too early. Like, wait till you get in and then you can you can play the pull shot. And, all, you know, Graham Smith's at first slip. He comes a little bit closer and he's, he's sort of – he didn't say anything. There was no sledging. He was just saying, mate, this guy's – Heart's racing, his adrenaline's going, he doesn't know what's going on. Like there's there's a lot going on with this guy's head, you know. And then he was right. But then, you know, so no pull shots. First ball, short, pull shot, two. I was like, oh, you dickhead. Like what <laughs> What are you doing? But then you get back and you're like, I've made test runs. That's, that's awesome. Like I'm pretty happy. And then, you know, nicked one through third and fourth, which I scored heavily through in shield cricket. So that's not a surprise. Um, and then I got another two, I think. And then... Down the other end with with Mornay Morkel, um, they had a guy like at Hashim Amlan was like a leg slip or leg gully, um, and and I was confident, of, and that's when I was like, okay, like if it's in your spot, I said, you know, respect the good ball, um, and then I saw it being a short ball, pulled it, and I've only watched this for the first time two months ago, because and that's ten years, um, I couldn't, I, I don't think I unpacked it or dealt with it at any stage, I just put it to the side, but um, you know, top edged it and. In shield cricket, normally that that goes like five rows back, but on that occasion it didn't, and Dale Stone took a, a good catch on the boundary. Yeah, so you made nine runs there, and best ten, test nine apparently. Well, I was reading your Wikipedia page <laughs> doing some research, and I thought he's a funny bloke, Bob. No, he's, I- he's tinkered with this, or one of his mates has done it. And then I went back and looked at the interview from the coach Mickey Arthur, and they were his words. Yeah, he yeah, described yeah. It as one of the greatest nines in the history of test cricket, and he wasn't being facetious; he was being a hundred percent serious. And- with all due respect, why was he so impressed oh. with that nine? So, so do you know my claim to fame's are like you off the intro is is saving a seagull and making the best test nine. So, but I like that's all I live for at the moment. Um, but I, I don't know how there can be a good test nine, and you know, and and I wasn't on social media. I don't. No, I wasn't social media at that stage. And everything that come on, like the next game, there'd be someone who made eleven, and they like. Um, oh, you know, Alvaro Peterson, that's the best test 11 that it's ever been made. And you're like, why did he do this to me? Like, I'm struggling already, but he's, he's just thrown that in there as well. But um, yeah, it was, 
it was I, un, I sort of like dealt with it straight away uh, Ricky Ponting was good he goes mate whatever you do like, don't put the pull shot away. if that's your shot keep going like, make sure it's the right one don't all of a sudden after one innings decide you can't play it um, which is, I, th- I thought was sound advice I just wasn't good enough to give myself another chance well, you played the second test against South Africa in Adelaide. Unfortunately, personally, it didn't go to script for you. You made appear in that game. The Aussies drew the match. Mm. After that, Shane Watson was going to be fit again. So how did that come about post-match when the captain and coach, did they have a chat and yeah, did that yeah. go down? Yeah, so what I was around the squad for, for a while um, and he was like he was looking really good, looking fit, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't speak a hell of a lot to me either. Um, I don't know whether there was, there was an ego thing there or I'm not sure. Um, but I knew that if I didn't get any runs, even if I got like 30 or 40, I probably still wouldn't be in the next test, but, um, felt like my prep before the, the first, uh, the, the first day of test two was okay. Um, but yeah, just no good. Um, half decent baller got me out in the first innings and, shit shot in the in the second innings and I walked off and said that's it I just wish it was embarrassing really you walk off and with a pair you know like I, I don't think I made a pair in my shield career let alone in, in a test um, in your test career but you walk off and and that's all done so we go through obviously couldn't get the wickets I think we got them eight or nine down in the end but um, you walk off at the end of the day's play People are showering, getting ready, and and uh, Mickey Arthur and Michael Clark. We went into there's like a physio room and a coach's room. They went into the coach's room. I walked in with a smile and I said, "Thanks so much for this opportunity. I'm so sorry I fucked it up." And um, I think it sort of caught them by surprise a little bit because I think, like anything, that that was their job to sort of say, "Oh, hey, you know, you tried hard and all that sort of stuff, but look, we're going a different way." Um, but they said, "Look, you you next cab off the rank. Um, so get back, get some runs, and you can get back in the side." But I'm not sure how true that was because I, I slipped down the rankings pretty quickly. Well, you got the runs, but unfortunately, the, the side became a little more settled after that as well. So you never got another crack. Another thing I've always wondered, was it frustrating that you came up, you played two tests, but against that world-class South African team where two years later, some of the West Indies teams, I think I could have got runs and I can't hold a cricket bat. You could have made 200 yeah. every time you batted. Potentially. Well, well two tests later, the, the boys are playing Sri Lanka. So they had a three test against South Africa and three tests against Sri Lanka and so the the test after I finished up, um, John Hastings got a game, which is it's pretty cool. So Matty Wade's four two eight, I'm four two nine, he's four three zero, and then Ponting obviously announced his retirement before that test, and I was like, like I might be back here. But as soon as that happened, Kawaja Hughes and it was five or six names, um, Ferguson before before mine, and I was like, well they're going to know enough, they're going to know more than me here, um, and we we into big bash. So there was no red ball cricket to, to go to, which is big bash. So unfortunately, yeah, that was it. Um, but I, I don't get frustrated because I think timing's everything in sport, none more so in cricket. And my timing of making runs there was, you know, if, if I didn't make, if I made runs earlier, I may not have got to go because the team was chockers and going well, you know. So because of the little window of opportunity, I made runs at the right time. Well, maybe I look at it that way. I don't know. Like, you can get frustrated, but you don't. Like if I made runs against South Africa, that could have been the best thing for me going forward. So no, nah, I don't. I don't get frustrated about that. Now the baggy green, it's the most iconic thing in Australian sport. Where is yours? How frequently does it come out? And have all your mates had a try of it? Yeah, I, and I've, yeah, I've, I've been to a couple of um, sporties as well where I've just shared it around because I want people to wear it. Um, it's sitting with. I've got my St Kilda hat, my Victoria hat, and my Australian hat all in the one spot in my. I've got a hat 
shelf um, and that stays there. But I, I get it out. Um, I joke that in summer that every now and then I might just sit on the on the deck and have a beer with it <laughs> on. But there's a chocolate stain on there that I don't know how it got there. <laughs> I, I can't remember eating chocolate with my baggy green on, but there's there's chocolate on there. But you don't, any like I couldn't get to, couldn't get any beer stain on there because we didn't win. So you didn't any, lose any, though. We didn't lose, correct? But we're not going to be sharing. <laughs> no one's going to share in my hat for for doing it for having a draw. So um, any stain's a good stain for me, except Dale. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct, correct. I should have got you to do the show in the baggy green. That would have been good fun. Yes. Now, I want to have a talk about the Big Bash because you played seven years with the Melbourne Stars and for seven years, most of that time, the Stars were the dominant team. The only thing missing was that grand final. So it was sort of the opposite of your Victorian team where yeah. the Vicks were so great on the big stage. The Stars so many times finished on top of the ladder and just couldn't quite get it done in semis and finals. Is that the nature of the beast or do you think there was something – they could have been tinkered with a little bit with the Stars franchise. Oh, tinkered with. Um, there's definitely elements of the nature of the beast for sure. Um, I think when it came to the crunch, we we whether we needed to change personnel for a specific game or have different methods. Like I think three or four of those times were versus Perth in Perth at the Wacker, which is is quite intimidating spot. Now I think. I don't know whether this is, this is a semi or whether it was just a game there. I reckon it might have been a semi where James Faulkner was bowling and we only had three inside the ring on the last ball and we would have won otherwise. But they obviously called a no ball for having only three in. They got they got two that ball and then free hit four or six and game over. So I think we came close a couple of times, one, one or two times. But there was just – it was a bit of a, um, a hoodoo and but something that we addressed later, I, I, I admired Stephen Fleming for trying to sort of like um, talk about the elephant in the room. But I think it was the he talked about it at the start of the season, and then I don't think we won a game. That's all we won one game <laughs> that season, so we, we didn't have to worry about like missing out in finals. But um, it was definitely a combination of like it is the nature of the beast, and I just wonder whether well we had a home final against Hobart. I think we lost, and we had a home final against someone else and we lost as well. So we had, I think, two opportunities to, to get through. Sorry, we had a home grand final against Sydney Thunder when we had Uzi Kawaja at LBW and he wasn't given. And then he went I've let it go, yeah. He, he should have been the Australian team to begin with. He, he's, he's so good to watch, that bloke, but um, he's he's amazing. But I didn't want to watch him that night because he was, he was out. A little bit of a setback. Now, you've been part of the Big Bash, which was amazing for getting young cricket fans involved, and it's been so wonderful, the Big Bash. Might have lost its way a little bit with the scheduling the last couple of years. If you were calling the shots for the Big Bash, what would you do going forward? Well, they've tried to reduce it now as well, which I think I think it's more the timing of it. I think, I think as long as the, the season finishes before the end of January – I think that's probably the most important aspect of it. I've, I said this a while ago to some mates, but I think they need to have a gap day. So yep. on a Monday night, just don't have anything. Like you people, a lot, lot of people can access KO. They can do, watch replays if they want. Have a cricket show if if they really want to. But I think having that day where people are like, what do you, what do you mean there's no cricket? Went to, oh, we have to wait tomorrow night. It's like the build up to a Thursday night footy game. People are like, is it there's an no Thursday night, what? But when it comes around, it's like, oh, how good is this? It's Thursday, Friday night. So I reckon I reckon it's more having the odd space in that calendar. Um, and I think some players find that would be 
worthwhile as well. I think sometimes they have what happens with the the BBL schedule is they have a heavy like eight to ten day period where they play maybe three or four games, and then they have like four four or five days where they play one game. So to sort of spread that across a little bit more, I think it'd be better. Um, I don't think just changing the fixture right now and reducing games is going to be the quick fix, but there are other elements to come with it. I think, I think, I just wonder whether you know we need to embrace what the, these franchise things are going on with the you know the Indians and the IPLs at the moment. I just wonder whether we we embrace that like, or we stay on our own and just lower expectations. So. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. And also, what you is it entertainment or is it sports entertainment as well? Like, do you want the big names there for one or two games, but that's probably going to be detrimental to your team's winning chances? No, I, I went to two games last season and in the crowd and just I try and listen to um, people when they speak and, and, and you hear sometimes they're like, oh, who, who's this guy? Like, who's that? So there's definitely an element of star power. Like, they need to have names there because you, you probably get maybe – I don't know, like five to 8,000 people to a game to watch a Kevin Peterson, um, a Lassith Malinga. Um, so I think there's definitely the star power and just I think it's up to then the, the franchise of the club to then work through the team dynamics to make sure that they can win. So, yeah, I, I, they definitely need some some big names. But that's why I think, like, so Jofra Archer just recently has been offered apparently, you know, to, to be with Mumbai for a one-year deal, which could go across three or four I think franchises. Yeah. Now, if that turns into five, there's an expectation for Joffre to play for the Melbourne. If the if it's not the Melbourne Stars, it's the Mumbai Stars. Yep. Right. And so you know you're going to get a Joffre Archer. Wouldn't that be more enticing than going? No, nah, I'm not coming because I need to rest myself for the, the tournament after that because Mumbai. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think you, you, you look like you're not. You're well, less not is convinced. best. I just think less is best. I think there's too many games. Mm. I think just less is best. And as you said, I love that. Give it a chance to breathe and have the fans looking forward to the matches. And oh, hang on, the stars need to win, or if they lose and this happens. But at the moment, it's almost hard to keep up with it. Yeah. So, I I, I get a gauge with just my mates who who say, look, this it's just too much. Where, but I also think sometimes as society, we're going, come on, like that they go, our oh, test matches are too boring. I'm like, give it. You've got this thing that you want a test match to go to the last ball of every test match. Like, it's impossible. So, I think we need to change our, change our expectations a little bit. I love the test cricket. Could never have too much of that. Now, we've got to talk about that incident with the Seagull because we joked about it at the top of the show, but it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen on a sporting field. Walk us through what you remember. So, um, I remember Scorchers batting and I used to do long on to long on for the boundary riding and then they sort of put me out to this bit of a hot spot down at deep square um, to stop the two. And so the ball gets hit out of there. I, th- I think it was Adam Voges off the top of my head who hit the ball out there. And the seagulls are, are rife at the MCG, particularly from a certain time onwards. They, they're they just everywhere. And so it hit – and I just – you know, I just thought this would have happened sooner, you know. So the ball hits the seagull. I go get the ball. I throw it in and it's just lying there. And I thought, no, nah, this thing's gone. It's, it's dead. But I'm also thinking – Looking at the crowd, there's there's a lot of families and kids here. Like, I don't know why I thought this way, but I thought it's probably not fair for them to see a dead bird, like, and and just just finish off. Like, its its eyes were sort of rolled back to its head and like that. And so anyway, so I'm thinking they're looking at it like that. And what Cam White's come over. So Cam White's the country boy from Bansdale, right? So I said, "Have you got this?" And he goes, "He goes, pick it up, Bobby." I was like, oh, "That fuck." I'm thinking I've got they got so many germs these things, and so I'm like, and also. He's told me to pick it up, and I'm on national TV. I've got to pick it up. 
So I picked it up and I'm I'm just like, oh, and then it starts pecking my hand and I really wanted to let it go. <laughs> and so you get to the boundary line and go, off oh, you pop. And I was like, you're like pre-COVID, like, and I imagine if it was COVID now, like I'd, I'd have four bottles of sanitizer, but you just rub your hands on the on the grass um, to, and I'm going, right, like, and, but before that, I'm trying to like get the curators to get a box or something. And, and but my stupidly, my way of communicating with this was to simulate a shotgun. And so I was like this and like this one. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's on TV as well. That's, that's not a great look. But um, I, the, the, the theory was, was nice. It was, it was empathetic, but um, take the EM away and it turned out to be a bit pathetic, really. The, the cameras cut to you as you were making the gun the gesture. The gun gesture, I know. And it was ridiculous. Um, so, and, then, and then the funny thing was, it was a seagull, right? And so Mick Lewis, who was our bowling coach at the time and, and clearly a fast bowler, um, he walked past and he goes, hey, Bobby. I said, Mick, that's a pigeon, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever, same thing. Um, and and so then obviously then it came back out and 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 come at me again as well. Like I went to pick, field another ball and it just swooped under my – through my feet. Um, so, but it's it's funny. Like I, I don't expect to be re- remembered with my profile too much for, for my cricket, but the next, I reckon, two or three years, up until sometimes today um, – Kids ask about the seagull. Like uh, they know, they knew who I was at that stage. Two years after, it'd be Bobby Quiney from Melbourne Stars. Oh yeah, you're also the seagull guy. Where now, if I do clinics with my age, um, there'll be one kid in there because they won't remember me from cricket, and they're like, "Oh, Bobby Quiney played Melbourne Stars, Victoria." And one kid would go, "Yeah, he goes." are you the guy that saved the seagull? I was like, yeah. And then they start talking and piss themselves laughing. It's like, oh, you're an idiot. It's like, oh, yeah, no worries. I might have to put the link up, but it's great footage because the seagull, it looks dead and then you pick it up, put it down, and it comes to life again and the MCG erupts. They erupt, the yeah. It was the best thing for them. They, they, they loved it. And then, so what the stars have done now is they've got Stephen Seagull as a mascot. And I don't think he, he, he brings in any money. But they didn't. They didn't talk to me about that. Like I'm part. I'm part of that relationship, and that was it. But the ball. It nearly happens to the same bird. Correct. Again. Correct. Like I think the commentators are like, mate, get get out. That, or that he's got a death wish. That that bird. So, oh, great part of the beautiful thing about cricket. Now I want to finish by talking about the Shield premierships you played in 2009, 2010, 2015, 2016, and 2017. Yep. With everything you did with international cricket, with the Melbourne Stars as well. I think the purest, the Sheffield Shield factor gets lost a little bit. That was such an amazing achievement. You played at five different venues yeah. for those five premierships. Phenomenal. You contributed significantly in most of those victories or draws that led to the Shield title. So talk to us about winning those premierships for Victoria. The first one was was really special but also bittersweet because it was 08-09. My, da- my dad died in December 08 and then we won it three months later. And so that was something for me to go, hey, that was pretty cool to go through that personally. Um, and come out and have – I've always been about team success and I've loved having team success. Um, so that was pretty special. The next one was even better because I contributed a lot more. Um, I think I made 13 in the first innings but made 70 or 80 in the second innings and really, you know, we, we pinned the nail, nails down in the coffin for Queensland at that stage. And then um, the next three, you spot on. Um, there was one in Hobart where we couldn't play at the junction or the G. The G had footy. The junctions facilities were just no good, and so we went down to to host a final again. I you know I made fifty and sort of fifty off a lot of balls to try and making sure that we got the draw in the end, um, which was good. 
And then I think the next one was so we played when we couldn't play at the junction and and works were going at the junction. We actually played at um, Traeger Park up in Alice Springs, and so there was a game there that Cam White, um, I reckon he made oh, could have made forty off two hundred pellets. Um, he he essentially there was a draw. They were nine down against New South Wales, and if we had lost that, we wouldn't have played the final. We drew it. We held on. We went to the final, and we went to South Australia. And that was probably one of the better wins is because that was the time where we were actually second. So South Australia, all they had to do was draw. Um, we And we turned it around and we, we won that game. And um, that was a huge win, I think, off the back of Cam White getting us there in the first place. And then and then the last one, last one was at Traeger Park. We, we held a Shield final at Traeger Park. Who would have thought like 10 years before, it's like it's got to be the MCG or the SCG and we're, we're playing up in Darwin, which was our home. It was a bit of a fortress for us up there, which was which was awesome. But um, Marcus Harris did really, really well. Again, it was South Australia. So we went back to back South Australia and they, they would have been flat because they were chasing, they haven't had any success for ages, two Shield finals and they obviously couldn't get the chocolate. So um, the ability to, to have play some part, I didn't play as, as big a role as some others with through those games, but... To, to play a part in that is is awesome. Like I'm super, super lucky and you see dynamics of people who stand up and people who – like there's people who are the glue with people um, and then obviously the, the celebrations that go on after that are, are awesome. My my wife, she she after about I think – I was lucky enough to win some with St Kilda and, and after I think the first two with St Kilda, she said, like why do you have to drink after like Monday? Like can't you just stop on Monday? And I said – I actually don't make the rules. The rules have always been in place <laughs> and that we, we drink until we can't drink anymore. Um, that's They're the rules. And I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm just adhering to the cricket rules. But um, she, she couldn't work out. Unfortunately, she had to go through, I said, three with St Kilda and five with, with Victoria. So she just she just ducked out. It must be very special, though, the days after those premierships where you're with the teammates that you've gone through hell and high water to get mm. to and, and you win and you just soak it up and you enjoy it for as long as you can. You do, you feel, and it's not just the alcohol side of things, but you, you feel like there's an invincibility element to it, but there's also, it's like a relief element at the same time. Like we did it, we got through, you can relax and we don't have to worry about, we worry about pre-season when we wake up in four days. Um, so that's that and have a break and, and recharge. But looking back now and looking back to see, you know, what states have done similarly, what who haven't. Like, it's not easy to do. And, you know, Victoria have done it the last two years to get to the Shield final and, and you know, fallen short. Now, who's to say they don't get to another Shield final for another 10 years? Like, it's it's bloody tough. So, um, yeah, that's why we've got to do we've got to do reunions. We've got to sort reunions out. But And you've got to enjoy them because there might never be another opportunity. 100%. Yeah. I, and there's people that don't play in any. Like, I – I think of footballers like Robert Harvey who who didn't get to win a flag. Um, you feel like it's a bit unfair at times, but um, that's I think that's why they're so special is that you can play a Marlon Pickett and you AFL Grand Final and play one game and you win a you win a flag and be some players going like oh, come on that's that's not fair like how does that happen? Um, but it just shows timing is everything. But also you know you're part of a big big group and yeah that's I do I, I pinch myself. Um, hopefully I'm going to have to. See the tattooers to, to tidy a couple up, but um, it's yeah. I I I've got no other words really to describe. I just feel lucky and 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 privileged to be part of those teams. I'm really looking forward to these podcasts going out, and we'll be inundated with tattoo artists wanting to get onto you. So this will be good <laughs> we'll fun. See. Be interesting. Now, Bobby Quiney, we've loved having a chat. I'm going to finish with two questions. 
best innings you ever played? Um, apart from my best test nine, um, I would say, I'm going to say two, uh, it was two innings against Tasmania. Uh, like, in saying that, I, I made 200s against South Australia in the one game on a really flat wicket and I reckon they were a bowl of short. So I'm proud that I did that, but I feel like there was an element missing. But Tassie, um, Tassie, we didn't play day one until like the we played a session. It'd been banging down the day before, banged down all that day, took the covers off and just went, where's the wicket? And they put some lines in and and away we went. And I it was the first time I've – instead of saying, how am I going to get through this? I've told myself, this is how I'm going to get through it. I sat back a lot to to because the, the ball was tennis ball bounce. And I got 75 in that innings and I think I got 80 in the second innings and we won. They're two of my best innings I found from a like out of my comfort zone, but it just showed it shows why I wasn't the class batsman that I think others are because I would have turned one of them into a hundred, um, and I think that's the difference between being like a great batsman and and a good batter. So, but it shows a lot of gritted determination to get to no, it does. But 80, it's, it's, it's 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 the it's the icing on the cake. You know, you've just had a sponge cake with um with no icing and candles whacked in there. You know that the icing on top tastes a lot better, doesn't it? And it's only a little part of the coke. Yeah, looking at the coke, you're thinking about sugar. I'm so sugar. I've had breakfast. I'm ready to go. That can be my breakfast. No, I reckon you've deserved it. Final question: best sledge or spray you ever heard? I was I was fortunate enough that I didn't get sledged too much at, at that level. Went through St Kilda ranks. I just got. Um, I got absolutely torn shreds about my weight and that, you know, how does the club find pants that fit me, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then getting to, you know, Victoria level, as I said, look, we, we probably had a go at each other more than anything. Um, there's there's one sledge that came from uh, a fan. There's obviously some that I can't repeat, but I, I, I couldn't recall happening. But Andy Lee, who's with the Stars at the time, swears it happened. So there's a couple of random um, Perth Scorchers fans at the at, – at um at the Wacker, they paint themselves orange and they like they're just proper fanatics and um and I don't know how I don't remember this but after my test matches where I made a pair I, I was I was on the boundary and and he was running water around and um a a, a lady uh, probably be a loose term like a, a female actually just said hey 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 Quinny hey this is a better pair than you made and lifted her top and, and exposed her breasts so. Um, I'm not sure if I take that as a sledge, a compliment, or whatever. But that was, <laughs> and I, I don't know how I, I must have, I must have just switched it off and, and turned it off. But um, yeah, that, that's probably the only one that really um, comes to mind. I was there was one time actually. Sorry to long wind. I was never a sledger. I just I, I didn't have that natural wit. But I, I'm I'm weird, and I can weird people out. And so I started, I fielded a lot at bat pad, like we had Farwood Ahmed and John Holland bowling. So I was often quite uh, underlid quite a bit. And there was a time where um, I would I would engage in conversation and talk to people, and I would I would get them off their game because they were just like having a really good time talking to me. Now there were two states, I think Tassie and South Australia, who were told not to engage with me when I was at bat pad, and one of them was Cal Ferguson. So Cal's batting, I'm like, Cal, how you going, mate? And he's nothing. So oh, I can't, Cal. Don't tell me, mate. You don't have to follow the team rule. Like you're a senior batter, you can. I mean, we get along fine, don't we? Are we are we okay? You keep batting. I said, Cal, come on, Cal, and you imitate him. And so again, stoning me, like just absolutely nothing. And got to the stage where he's he sort of like ten or fifteen, and I was like, all right, 
if you're not going to speak to me, I'm going to be you. Okay, mate? Hi, Cal. Hey, boy. How you going? And, I, and that went on for another, like, and I'd like, you know, and, and you could see, like, this little smirk. He's trying not to smile, not to try to show any emotion. Um, and, then, and then next thing you know, he brought up his 50. And then why does it first slip? And he goes, Bobby, I think it's time to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he ended up getting 100, but it worked for so long. And then I, I took it to another level and it backfired on me. So um, that's, that's as good a sledging as I got. I'd love to have seen Cam White say that to oh, it, was, it was unemotional. He was, he was angry. He was angry because he had to put up with my, my dross there in the first place at first slip. But um, he got to the stage. He goes, he goes, it's not working. Just shut up. That is absolutely outstanding. You've been outstanding today, Bob Quiney. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Quiney. I appreciate it, mate. Hey, lads. A guy in the community reckons we take the overs. Do we trust him? Well, his username is Big Stats Guy. Say no more. Connect with a community of like-minded punters only in Labrox communities. T's and C's apply and available on website. What are you really gambling with?